You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. A very special episode, uh, because not only do we have my co-host, Sir Lucian, over there at Sir Lucian Gaming, but we have the wonderful gentleman from uh, WebDM, uh, Mr. Pruitt and uh, Mr. Davis. Uh, A.K.A. Yeah. Jim. Can I call you Jim? A big fan. Yeah. So. yeah don't, don't <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can we be casual or is it Dr. Dr. Davis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome, guys. We're really excited to have you. Uh, if you guys are hiding under a rock and you are not aware of the fantastic Kickstarter that these guys are doing, um, it is called Weird Wastelands. Um, and this is the beginning, mm-hmm. hopefully, of Worlds of WebDM, which I'm really excited about. But uh, So today we're going to talk about... Um, pretty casually, but just talk about this really cool product that you guys got going on. Funded in 16 minutes. Uh, w- what is Weird Wastelands? Well, uh, big question. Do you want to? You want this, or should I? I mean, I don't. I don't mind. Uh, Weird Wastelands. Weird Wastelands is. Uh, it grew out of uh, a lot of gym settings. Uh, there's a lot of that in there as far as just okay. like apocalypses and grand land between two rivers, of course. Um, but it's also inspired by a lot of the things that we are similarly uh, uh, captivated by, you know, uh, Mad Max, Dune, uh, Akira in a way. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a litany of like apocalyptic settings and themes that kind of are woven into this. But Weird Wastelands is a toolkit for players and DMs to have wacky, wild, and weird adventures in post-apocalyptic wastelands. It's got locations, it has adventure hooks, it has monsters and NPCs and factions. There's a subclass for each main class, not the Artificer, sorry, it's not in the SRD. (laughs) We were heartbroken too, uh, which is why we're doing the Technomancy Wizard. Uh, So it was kind of a, a, keep some of the ideas and move it around. We're doing an all new Scion class. Obviously, Dark Sun is a big inspiration. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I I love Dark Sun, and so it sounds very Dark Sun. Yeah, it can't be denied. But I would say that this is a slightly different take on a uh, magically created or, you know, wrought uh, wasteland. Yeah, now when I hear uh, post-apocalyptic, I always think of more, I guess, like modern day, like cars and stuff like that. But this is, is this, uh, is this kind of... Eberron-esque with airships and stuff, or is this more like a hardcore, just fantasy, but a big catastrophe? Like, I mean, Eberron's is, to me, Eberron is as much an influence as Dark Sun. Okay. Um, like, Eberron was one of those settings that when it <clears throat> when it dropped, it was like, oh, someone made a D&D setting, finally. You no. Know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Not just, just the generic, like, you could play here. Like, yeah. Right, yeah, but, like, took, like, the assumptions that were kind of baked in the rules and and how, you know, play developed and, and created something out of it that was interesting and, and I thought was unique. Uh, and so it's sort of captivated by my imagination since. And, yeah, the Weird Wastelands, uh, you know, has its has this dual inspiration from these two settings where, you know, like from Dark Sun, it gets the idea that that magic is to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. that it is <clears throat> there is something dangerous about it, that there is something uh, you know potentially catastrophic about it. But where Dark Sun goes with the defiler preserver uh, dichotomy and and sort of like this world was drained over many cycles of of these beings attempting to achieve immortality and it, it coming crashing down and you know the ages get get more and <laughs> less and less colorful. Uh, the closer you get to when it starts, like weird wastelands is like, no, they're magic all over the place. Like there's it, like this place is thick with magic. It's it, there's, there's not a, a square uh, inch of ground that isn't somehow like touched by it in some way. These either used to be like alchemically fertile fields or like blessed by nature gods, things like that, or, or something. But then this catastrophe happens. And in this sense, like the Mornland plays a big part in that of just, something happened uh maybe a lot of somethings uh <laughs> but it's left behind these magical ruins in this magical wasteland to uh to play in it, yeah, that's kind of like a a storyline we don't get right now where magic's embraced magic's good magic's like technology almost magic's as safe as an iphone in your pocket whereas yeah. we came from kind of we always say old days or back in the days of fantasy where 
magic was something that could give you power, but it seemed to always corrupt or it seemed to always be a yeah. bad thing, even mm-hmm. if you did chase it. We don't get that storyline as much. That'd be a cool kind of thing to see brought back into the space again, this idea of magic's dangerous and yeah, yeah. it may give you power, but you're going to give up something for it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I was going to say, like, I, if you think about it, like in a tra- in a traditional D and D setting, like maybe there's just not a critical mass of magic use yet. Like it's it's boutique, it's cottage industry, it's mm-hmm. you know it's little little master archmages and the like, and their own little towers with their individual apprentices, and it's it's all very artisanal. But like, there's a materiality to D and D magic that mm-hmm. suggests it could be industrialized, that suggests it could be mass produced, and and like, and it, it has a predictability to it that that lends itself to study and exploitation. And like, so if if the last war in Eberron is supposed to be the first world war, Weird Wastelands takes place after the third. <laughs> and, oh, okay. And, and, I like and that. so, <laughs> right? Like, in, in, we, we've been the, through this scale, again, and and pe- both sides are now arming up because yeah, we yeah, realize yeah. that we could arm up if we don't. Yeah. The other people are, and now you have. Uh, a, a catastrophic end to the Cold War as opposed to what actually right, happened yeah. through history. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All, all of this has happened before and it will happen again. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you should never forget that. But also, uh, when going back to uh, your point about magic being dangerous, like it used to be dangerous, there used to be some edge to using magic mm-hmm. uh, in D&D. And it's, I am sad that that has kind of, it's just gone away. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the rough edges, they've made it child friendly. You know, you don't have to worry about, you can use these spells around it, you know, and you won't be hurt. Um, yeah, but that's why I... It, cubic feet of fireball yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before you cast yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and so they made it all safe. They figured it out. Like, But that's why like, I think it's good to play other settings and look into mm-hmm. other worlds that have like Warhammer fantasy role play where chaos will corrupt you. It can make, you know, you, 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 I've had plenty of, of characters that have gone the wrong way because uh, a couple of pairs roll, turned up on my die rolls. You know, when trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, channel a spell New or hands, uh, another oh, yeah. totally uh, or another one. Uh, yeah, I got tentacle hands. Uh, another one is uh, Symborum is another one mm. that like the corruption that will change you and turn you into a demon. Uh, like because you're using this power that you're not supposed mm. to like that is yeah, humans are not. S- yeah, like our physical bodies are not meant to channel this and there's going to be repercussions. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, bringing a little bit of that in, not just like, you know, a wholesale or anything, but like, this is why it's good to play other systems to be inspired by other venues and other ways of seeing uh, how to, how to portray these worlds. Um, So that, you know, you can, you can have something that might be frustrating or whatever, but at least it's like different and fun and it's a challenge to overcome because that's, part of playing role-playing yeah. games is and you're I think presented challenges that you overcome. RPGs in general, and well, especially D&D, but a lot of it is risk and reward. Like, I'm going to, you know, I want to risk something in order to, if it works out, it's going to be awesome, but there's that, that's why we roll the dice. It's kind of exciting. And uh, I'm a big fan of Dungeon Crawl Classics, which I, we talk about a lot on this channel, uh, and that is Everybody a very a similar uh, <laughs> direction of magic, where a natural one or even less can... Uh, super hurt you. And that's the running joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whenever Jordan mentions DCC, yeah. you got to take a drink. <laughs> yes. It's, same with Spelljammer. Yeah. We should, we should, Jim, we should start that. Or Cypher That was the book I thought me. you were going to, when I heard you guys were doing a Kickstarter, I'm like, they're going to do Spelljammer and just say, F you. <laughs> we're going to hey, do Spelljammer. Hey, patience. 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 Yes. <laughs> we must start on the ground before yes. rising. You can have skies. all my money. I'm throwing it at you right now. <laughs> so it's not a, a would you say this is a campaign setting in the sense of like a Eberron or a, or a Tolis came out and that book is like yeah, yeah. so huge or I noticed yeah. you guys use the word, uh, what was it? Tool kit or toolbox. Yeah. 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 There's an implied yeah. setting. Like implied setting. There's a, there's, there are, there are definite themes that come through when you read through this and look at the book. This is meant to go in those places in your world where something bad happened, a desert, a wasteland, whatever. It could be the whole world if you're creating that. If you want to create something Dark Sun inspired, you can do that with this book. We tell you, we give you, you know, tables to roll on to create certain things and like uh, locations and like I said. So, yes, you can run a a campaign, but we are not telling you like the names of the city and what happened here and all of that. We're just providing what you need at the table and you per, you can do whatever thing you want. Now we do have ideas like like we're gonna have like a uh, is it now is it a table gym or just a, a series of just like 
choose your apocalypse. Like <laughs> we'll have something. Uh, yeah, yeah. To that effect. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. the idea is to be able to, you know, if, if it's going to be a toolkit, then it needs to be as modular as we can make it. And so, um, you know, I it, just sort of stick with the theme of D and D settings that that it's inspired by. Like Ravenloft is another in that. Ravenloft is the mist can come and you have yourself a gothic horror adventure and then the mist come and you're back to your regular world mm -hmm. and you just have this detour through a different style of adventure, different themes, dealing with different stuff, whatever, just freshen up your campaign, but then you're back in your main one. And it's the same as this, right? You're going to go to the Anarok Desert because that's a magical wasteland. Yeah. Or you're going to go to the regions where the reign of colorless fire or the invoked devastation occurred in uh, Greyhawk, or you're going to go to the Mornland and like, you're going to have an adventure there and it's going to be terrible. And you're going to have to like <laughs> worry about the basic necessities that you might not when you're in civilized D and D and, and then you're going to come back to your main game or you're just going to stay there and, and, and build a campaign out of the elements that we have. So like that's kind of that's kind of what we want and so instead of having like a big section of like well here's the history of the place how it became an apoc you know post-apocalyptic wasteland or whatever like you're just going to be more stuff we're just going to use those words for more tools for the dm yeah and you know encounter tables and equipment lists and things like that with their own flavor that will imply something but it's not so baked in that you if you don't like it you can't just like skin or change it or something like that no and i i love uh i love exactly what you guys are making and i think that's my preferred book because uh mm -hmm. i i so often am like well i like this campaign setting but i want to do x y and z and i want to do this and uh i love money cook i love money cook games but when tolis came out i was like that is like I, i'm so intrigued but i'm also so intimidated you know <laughs> Yeah. Like yeah. that you have everything mapped out so much that there's no, like, where's the wiggle room, I guess. And and mm -hmm. as a DM, yeah. you have to have wiggle room because your players are going to, they're going to wiggle out of whatever thing you it put. It is a in, home so. defense weapon too, if you need it. Yeah, so yeah. if a burglar yeah. comes in, you throw the <laughs> yeah, Thomas I mean, book at them, they're done. They're done. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say that if you look back to the, the third edition or 3.5 books like Stormrack or Frostburn or Sandstorm, mm. this is more in line with that. Yeah, where it awesome, tells yeah. you how to run things in this environment and the things that could be there. Yeah. It's up to you to how you, however you want to stitch them together with whatever backstory and history you want. We've at least done like a lot of the heavy lifting creatively and just, and what, you know, you don't use specifically, hopefully inspires you to create your own little thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sort of two criteria for what should be in a good game supplement is like it's either better than what you could come up with off the top of your head at the moment. So it's got to go above and beyond like the most obvious answer or the ob like, oh, this sh obviously this would be okay. Well, duh. Then what more can we have time and 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 focus here to do more with that? Or it's the bullshit work that you just you know that on the, in the moment you don't want to have to figure out what this thing does or how this mechanic works or something and so we want to present those uh tools to you so that when like the pcs go left and you thought they were going to go right you can go right no sweat and yeah we'll do a page, welcome to the wasteland thank workbook. you for this d100 <laughs> table um you yeah, find a yeah, sentient exactly. cactus and he yeah. wants to have Give your you children. a hug what? yeah because like <laughs> You know, the, the, the wastelands and sort of post-apocalyptic gaming carries with it a lot of assumptions about the exploration pillar that 5th edition doesn't really support and, and sort of makes nods to, and, and it, or rather I should say this, its support is inconsistent and contradictory. Yes. And so, <laughs> you'll, you know, you've got to hunt through three or four different books to find all of the relevant rules for it. They don't tell you how to put all of this together into a structure to frame an adventure around. And then it goes and says like, well, hey players, we understand that tracking resources can be tedious and whatever. So like choose these options to never have to worry about this again. But in my mind, that's like telling the player of a fighter like, oh, you picked fighter. Great. We're never going to have combat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you got this locked down. We're never going to have to worry about it. Whereas instead, like, wait a minute, I want those are moments I want to zoom in on. Like, pick Ranger because I like doing wilderness stuff, not because I want. I to I should be good action. at wilderness, not just negate the fact that we have to do wilderness. And 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. ran a game yeah, with a uh, ranger, and he was so excited, and he took. He's like, "I want my train to be jungle because we're going to be in a jungle." Yeah. And then by the end of that campaign, I was like, "We're we're kind of just we don't have to do this because you automatically succeed." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was let down. He was like, "Well, that's I right. yeah." And right. so mm-hmm. I'm curious what additions, if you can talk about them, uh, that you're making to this kind of exploration because I love exploration. Class? Big fan of hex crawls. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're we're, we're taking a three pronged approach. Uh, two, you know, two elements from the DM side and one from the players. And so from the player side, um, you know, sort of taking inspiration from Tasha's and others of presenting variant class features that uh, players and groups can swap out mm. for the baseline features so that instead of having auto wins and guaranteed successes, they have a mechanical widget to mess mm-hmm. with in a moment, <laughs> you know, of wilderness exploration or survival. Um, that same thing with spells, uh, we want to provide like, say, variants of Tiny Hut, variants of all the, you know, good berry or create uh, food and water. Like, I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want the advice we give to be like, say no to those options. Like, those options are there for a reason. And they also serve as like benchmarks for how powerful your characters are. That they, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm going to walk unassisted without any gear into this scorching radioactive wasteland and be <laughs> just fine because I'm a tier three D&D character, you know? And <laughs> so that's for the players. Uh, and then on the DM side, we're providing um, a hex crawl structure uh, that it has some modular elements to it so that you can either do super simple, we're, we're cruising across multiple days of travel, we just want to keep it moving, or you can zoom in on a day and sort of like see how it breaks down. And then the the third element is a hazard die, which gets sort of rolled whenever you do anything uh, of significance that might have anything from weather to wandering monsters to coming across an interesting location to prompts for more intra-party and introspective moments. Like, you, it's been six hours of blistering heat. Surely someone in the party has annoyed the ever-loving shit out of you. Like, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or... Um, and then uh, in terms of gear and resources to abstract those so that they're not tedious to keep track of uh, while still having some, some teeth and, uh, and grounding the play in survival. That's cool. Is this a, would you, what tier would you say this is? Cause you got me thinking about like a tier three paladin walking through, like, is this a level one starting ground? Is this kind of the DM makes it up? You could be either, or is it like going to be super deadly to those level twos that are like, I'm on an adventure and like arrow to the knee and they're gone, you know? Eight hit yeah. Right, right. Town guard's uh, life for them. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to provide a range of options, and I think it's possible to do that. Um, our promo material has features of location that can be used in a lot of different ways from like, watch out for this quadruple deadly encounter to have fun yucking around with some dust methods that you rough up around and then you're done you know like there's a wide range of, of, of play options there that hook into the story of the location and so i think the sweet spot for this level of this kind of play is tier two i think you know you're, the characters are tough enough to to really take on some of the challenges and also have a lot of resources and so you can play rougher with them you can you can throw things at them that for a tier one party might be just unfair you know like they just they can't recover from this um, it, it is a fine balance to provide a mechanical challenge that's satisfying from like a game feel level that presents options for the players, but is also like this has consequences, like there's something at stake. Um, one of the ones I use an example from the promo where it's like you get infected with an elemental imbalance and you've got 30 d6 of damage that you're gonna take, it's, it goes off in an hour <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, it's going to blow up, but any time between now and then you can choose to take however many dice out of that 30 dice pool and set off an explosion, uh, centered on yourself. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to go find some enemies and blow myself up. I'm going to go off by myself and and do this a couple of times. And now the cleric taught me back up and then go do it again. And like, you're just going to take this damage when and where and how and under what circumstances is entirely up to the player. And, and so those are the kinds of things that we want where that it never feels like a gotcha or rocks fall. Everybody dies, mm-hmm. but at the very least there was an element of choice in how you cut your character 
killed or mangled or <laughs> possessed. Oh my gosh. Or, or like, something like that. <laughs> you get that and you're like, all right, we need to have Tiamat swallow me. <laughs> what? Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this for you guys. Diving in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to go out here and get swallowed by something and blow myself up. But like the wasteland is for all levels of play. It's just, you know, part of the, the GM section that we'll have is, is advice for how to turn resource, um, you know, focused games that at tier one involved, like, do we have enough food and water to traverse this part of the wasteland? Like tier three, it's like, do we have enough resources for this community I'm a part of? Like, or we came across these people in need of help and like my spells can feed us, can help us. But now there's like 50 or 100 or 500 or whatever people who also need help. Like it's to embrace the options that are already there for play that, that might seem like they trivialize wilderness survival and recontextualizing them to be like, well, they've got limits, you know, they're not always I win buttons, good berry, you know, it, it might keep you from gaining levels of exhaustion or dying, but it's like, is it good for you? Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that interesting. Much? Like, uh, yeah. uh, I can <laughs> exactly. conjure all this food, but like you're, you're, you're sustaining your body on magical food. Is that going to have long-term consequences? Mm -hmm. Is that kind of right? There's yeah. already well, like well. dangerous levels of just background magic out here already. Do you really want to be ingesting it uh, into yourself in a normal D and D world? It's fine. Once a day, that's all you need. But mm -hmm. like, maybe not out here that might not be a good idea but but still the saying is is old as time that you know you don't take food from fairies because it's magic food yeah. and you're not meant to eat it so for that to become the normal in D, &D i find is like we both were like that's interesting since the whole thing is if a fairy offers you some i mean i know that people will say oh it's the it's the offer therefore you owe them but no it's it's magic food it's like magic food you need something that was grown in the ground with sun, like, you know, because that sustains you. Uh, so, yeah, just the, all the different ways that that can just, you know, go yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, present a range of options because, like, part of our, you know, the research for this and, like, prep for it was, like, just getting a feel for people's take on the exploration tier. You know, just, you know, especially, like, from, from Twitter where my perception of it is that this is a tier of play that's not as valued as some of the other tiers of social interaction or combat. And, and a lot of the responses I got back sort of shed light on why. And for a lot of people, it's that travel lacks any kind of meaning. It takes up time at the table that they see as like distracting them from the real locus of play, which is the, the adventure site, the dungeon, whatever, you know, and that because the refresh rate of abilities in 5e if you try to just like load up a bunch of combat challenges on them or make them spend a bunch of spells, they sleep once and now it's back to it again. And then you're like, well, is wilderness like that dangerous that, that you know, <laughs> these characters are having to spend all of their resources every day just to get from point A to point B? Like, is the world that dangerous? And so um, we want to like provide options for DMs to build games that say like, no, but we can challenge the party in other ways. We can uh adjust things for a certain level of play like at the end of the day everybody's got to be down with it if you got a group that doesn't want to worry about what they eat and where they sleep then mm -hmm. there's other things in the book for you mm -hmm. um but a good deal of it is about making wilderness survival and travel uh, a meaningful part of the game i think we have a pretty dm centric um audience too and i think another cool thing about cataclysm or apocalypse that you get storyline wise from a dm perspective is you can turn rules upside down. And for those players who've read the books and know everything about the spells, they've already have their plans out. They know they've got their 10 foot pole to do these things. But then all of a sudden you start showing that the physics of this place is different. The magics of this place is different. And all of a sudden, all those things that you had relied on. And for a player that gives them a challenge that they might not have had and knew they wanted because they love to problem solve. They love to figure yeah. out, well, how are we going to solve this? Because before we just fireballed it. But now yeah. if we fireball it, that that's not going to work for some reason because fireball is going to do something different. We need to come up with a new solution. And that challenges them in a new way that they weren't challenged before because they had the, uh, you know, their typical fantasy conceivable. We're taking the ring to Mount Doom and we're throwing it in kind of, that's what's going to happen kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I think like the the being able to present a challenge to, to veteran 5e players who are who are used to certain play style and certain play assumptions like 
I, I look at my own experience as a player in 5e across both extreme games to private games to cons games. And like, I start thinking of things of like, well, there's these commonalities that exist between it and also moments that never happen. I know when was the last time you ran out of a resource in an adventure? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you you didn't have a weapon when you needed one or that you didn't have everything that you, you wanted from, you know, that you weren't operating at peak capacity or near peak capacity when you go into a combat. And like the exception to that was like adventures in middle earth where you can show up after a long journey at the place where you think you're having an adventure with like exhaustion levels and no hit dice and, you know, just the miserable condition and, you know, mm-hmm. and how much richer that made the game and how like those constraints and limits and, hurdles like up the engagement like i you know talking like first level first and second level uh game here and it's like no that that was memorable and and awesome like, uh, and so that's um that's what we're trying to capture Pruitt, i know i i know i got uh i know you're about to to say something so i'll let you uh well you still got it just just waiting because uh, <clears throat> when it comes to adventuring and and, and adventures the old adage is it used to be about the journey, not the destination, right? That is what Lord of the Rings is about. Video games nowadays have a fast travel feature, and it seems that most D&D functions with that as the default, right? But with that mentality, then in Lord of the Rings, they would have taken the eagle straight to Mordor and just dropped the ring in, and the movie's over, and the book was would be 30 pages, and that's that. So that's what we're trying to put back in we want the whole thing we want the whole experience mm-hmm. yeah and your players would have came up with that your players would have said why aren't we taking the giant eagle right to mount doom and you yeah, as a dm yeah. would have to say well there's a big storm or yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well no the idea of those decisions are important do we go over the mountain or under it yeah. under and it. yeah do we and make for the gap of rohan or do we try yeah mountain pass yeah and that's uh I mean, a very cinematic part of the movie, which also I think a lot, I, I act out a lot of my campaigns as movies because I see the picture in my head and I'm like, this is just a big, really cool movie. And that would be one of those moments where like, you guys are, you know, rocking a hard place. Which one do you want to take? I don't know. Yeah. And I like yeah. that. Uh, we had a question in chat about living spells, which is something that I really enjoy. Are you, are you, do you have any new monsters, any new living spells in this book? Yeah, yeah. So each of the locations will have a monster where that location is meant to be its lair or or near its lair. Mm-hmm. So like in the promo, there's the Magicor, which is a magic-eating Manticore. Um, and its lair, if you choose to use it, is the Toxic Song. Now you can use both of those elements separately, but they're sort of thematically linked and, and sort of go together. Uh, so each of the locations will have one and then we'll include new monsters as they as they sort of make sense. Like Probably what we'll do is just take the idea of these things, like what is a living spell, mm-hmm. and like just try to reimagine it and reconceptualize it. And it might not be a monster. A living spell might be an environmental hazard. Oh yeah, that that you overcome, mm-hmm. um, you know, with something kind of like the um, the ghosts of Saltmarsh had those, uh, like you know, there's a fire on the ship or a crew mutiny type group uh, skill checks that looked. If you squinted at them and looked at them sideways, they kind of look like a skill challenge. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> you're not all rolling the same skill, and and there's like some re- repetition and some not, and they all have like a four tier outcome. And like I thought those were really cool. So that's gonna, you know, that's sort of like how we're thinking about some of these things. Cause like living spell could be a monster, it could be a hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, really, what we want to do is is not try to go with like too many assumptions of how it's been done before because we want to present something new yeah yeah no the uh the the forest of a million mage hands and you're like i what like <laughs> i'm all about it you guys can have that one if i see it in the book i'll just be like that was my gift to them so. <laughs> i mean that was where dr strange went in his mind yeah, that's right all the hands start coming up and grabbing him right and oh. you're tackling psionics so yeah i mean you, yeah. You've got to yeah. think that's a mechanical beast to throw into any RPG game, no matter yeah. which one you set yeah. it in. Yeah, that's that's where my uh, that's where I've been kind of focusing during the pre Kickstarter writing phase mm-hmm. uh, is is getting the Scion up and running. Uh, doing so has enlightened me in very in a, in, in various ways. Uh, it proved that I am a novice writer. Uh, it proved why it's so hard for Wizards of the Coast, who are apparently 
supposed to be some experts at this, just abandoned it like mm-hmm. for 5e and just mm-hmm. split it up into subclasses. Um, it, it was tough, like designing a whole new class and like trying to think of like what's come before and honoring that versus like, how do I see the scion and what does it normally look like when it's presented and and what how it's been in D&D in the past and how it's usually presented in like various media mm-hmm. to me is usually two completely different things. I love the 5D mystic, but they could do everything if you wanted. Like depending if you pick the right disciplines, you could do anything you wanted. You didn't need anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. That seems cool, like a complete, I'm good, I don't need anybody, you know, uh, but that is not usually the way a scion is presented, whether it be Jedi, the Bene Gesserit from Dune, uh, in Akira, like they usually have an invincible uh, Adam Eve. Uh, They usually have a smaller set of powers that they can use in a varied way. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. That was a great, yeah, psionic power use Uh, right there, I loved it. So that is that is what I tried to hold on to. I tried to give as many nods as possible to second edition, third edition, uh, even the Mystic. Um, there are side points, but the what you can do is much less, but it's scaled. And mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much side point, how much energy you put into it, you can scale up that power depending on how many ranks you have in it. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the avenue I went where you can end up with something more like Psylocke or, or Jean Grey, Mm -hmm. but not like someone who can enlarge and shrink and heal themselves and throw telekinesis and read minds, you know, like everything. So that's, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, I really like that. Uh, something, I guess it's a personal thing, but I always got frustrated when it was like, yeah, and you can use your psionics to cast arcane spells and i'm like but but what um but i have always loved like my favorite x-men are the ones that can figure out interesting ways to use their powers like magneto Mm -hmm. yeah i can bend metal but if i wear metal i can fly i can i can alter people's brain chemistry with the iron in their blood and the way you were talking pruitt it sounds a lot like that where it's like i'm gonna i mean not probably not to the level of of x-men but like i'm gonna refine my psionic powers to uh, well, you know, f- like Psylocke fists, or I'm going to do yeah, X, Y, Z, yeah. and I like that. What yeah, well, I mean, like? I will say this. The, the Max Telekinesis person can lift like 10,000 pounds, so, you yeah, know. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'll just slip that detail in. <laughs> like, one of the things that I like about the Scion as, it, as it's, you know, been through development is, like, it doesn't, it's not a caster clone. Good, it's yeah. It's not, like, cool. here's a big list of powers that you kind of select from and, and, and pick, you know, spin your pool, like, that's what's always frustrated me a lot about psionics was that it's just sort of like a carbon copy of spells, but with points instead, it just, it didn't feel different enough. And so we really tried to capture like, this is, this feels different. It's not, um, it's not a caster clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's something um, hopefully that you haven't really seen before. And that, that mm-hmm. produces like a real unique experience, but so far it's shaping up to be, Pretty different than other things. That's, uh, Does it have any like there. damaging aspects to the user? Like, is there any feedback or well, badness to using that it blood trickle? Like that roll, uh, the blood well, trickle. I, I, yeah, yeah. I will say, um, the capstone ability, the twentieth level ability, is called Burn Bright, and the whole point of it, uh, as I envisioned it, is you can push yourself to the point of death. Like it gives you the ability, or at least in its, you know, the way these things work, it's not completely written. We have a bunch of ideas and they're being honed and whatever, Mm -hmm. but the way it's being conceptualized is that it is a, it is an ability that, you know, you, you trade your own personal health for more power to do a thing that you need to do in that moment. If you survive, hopefully your party can rescue you, whatever, but like, I was just like that. I'm sorry, but like as someone who their first character died heroically to help the party. And it's like, still, I think about my first character ever and the death that he had and the story that has been told countless times again. Like I want people to have that opportunity. If they, if they see that moment where they can hold the line against the horde as everybody escapes with the thing that to do the mission and save the world. And you realize this is my moment. I want you to burn bright. And that is the point. You um, shall not pass. <laughs> yeah, you shall not pass. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. Mm-hmm. But so but, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, Just ahead. right quick. Your your thing about magic and psionics. That was something that we talked about quite extensively. Uh, 
mm-hmm. how yeah. we wanted psionics to be perceived. Is it a different version of, is it just a different access port to magic? Like, you know, like warlock, sorcerer and, and wizard have, or is it something entirely of itself? And so I think though, that we will have language in there in the final product so that DMs can, can decide for themselves. We will present it away in a certain way, but we want to give DMs the, the, if they don't want to deal with wizards going, but if I cast dispel magic, does it dispel that effect? Like, and have that pushback, right? Like if they want to just be like, well, no, they are the same thing. Like, here's how you do that. Or if you Mm -hmm. want them to be two separate things, here's how you do that. Right. So we want to, to arm DMs with the knowledge so that they can present it to their table and everybody can, can agree like, yes, this is the experience that we want. Yeah, if 5e makes it really easy to do a lot of this, the way that they that the exceptions based design and the kind of natural language of the rules work is that you can just say things like, well, all right, um, you know, normally I'd have to have a dispel magic to get rid of some sort of status effect that's affecting an ally. Um, but you know, like, I don't want it to be one for one magic scion equivalents. So instead, you say, this psionic ability can remove conditions it can remove these other things. Like you just bypass completely the one aspect of it to target another part of what's going on. So you can say like, well, what if it, it you know, it gets rid of like paralysis and, and, you know, okay, well that there's a, anything, anything been, whether it's a poison that causes it, whether it's a magical effect or something. So in that sense, we're sort of trying to look at new ways to see the rules and, and not follow, you know, not just reskin a bunch of magic spells and present them as as uh, as powers, and so um, I think like the low level ability of telekinesis does this really well. In that, mage hand is a spell you have to cast. It has a visual effect. It has it has components. It takes six seconds to do. Our telekinesis, if there's something across the room and they want to move it, they just it's just an action. You just do it. There's no anything else. It's always on. There's no activation. Their reach extends out to their zone of control. And, and that was, that sort of like really captures the heart of the difference that we're talking about here is it's, it should feel different. The, the magic user, whoever, like they're gonna have to spend a second to summon their ability to do this. They don't just have it always because it's a part of them. Uh, I'm a big lore nut fan, obviously. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> I've heard this. There, there was a part of your Kickstarter, like the intro said, uh, when gods abandon a planet and that really got me thinking about um just clerics uh paladins anybody anybody really who worships a god uh what are there i guess i'm i'm asking are there mechanics and stuff to reflect that like if i if i'm worshiping tear and i get sucked into the weird wastelands Mm -hmm. is tear there for me do i have like subliminal (laughs) tier powers i don't know (laughs) bro is he there i I think that 5e's already done that, though. If you look at the various subclasses of cleric, it's just of light or life. These are concepts. Mm -hmm. They did that to make them generalized so they can can be attached to multiple gods, you know, whatever their portfolio is. But to me, that can be just as freeing for a place where the gods do abandon it, you know? Like, they still have their places of worship that maybe grant power, to, to people who still worship them, the idea of what they represented. Because that, to me, I think it's more of just like, belief is more like within, like uh, our, our cleric subclass. Uh, uh, Jim can uh, illuminate that better, but that kind of falls into that. Yeah, yeah, the, the gods the, the gods abandoning the world is one of those things that's like, uh, the, the campaigns that I've run and played in the, in the sort of like standing uh, settings, uh, you know, homebrew settings that I have, that's the, a feature of them. Like when I started running Land Between Two Rivers, one of my principles for that setting was like, it's an apocalypse everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, at any, like wherever you could go in a D&D world, they are experiencing an apocalypse at this moment. And so like Mount Celestia is empty. Like there's the, the gods, their celestial servants, the souls that they, that they uh, you know, sheltered there. They're just gone. Like no one's really sure where they went. And like, I have my own sort of, quirky reasons for it for the setting that yet to be revealed through play but um i wanted to take that concept of like part of part of an apocalypse setting for like a a fantasy game is is divine like 
you could have some something akin to say Ragnarok or 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 you know a divine war or something that that caused this this wasteland. And it could be that the gods died during that. It could be that they left just because the place is ruined and they sort mm -hmm. of like shirk their responsibility and and maybe like the higher tier play of a campaign like that is tracking them down as as the sort of survivors of this and laying a smackdown on these divine <laughs> beings that left and abandoned a play. You know, like that's appropriate for for a capstone or a D D campaign yeah. is to bring back the god of nature like we kind of need you you walked away yeah so like it you know D, &D is uh exists within this 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 setting and the idea space where there are these powerful beings who could snap their fingers and fix all of this and so in order for it to continue to be a wasteland and continue to be an apocalypse you sort of have to address the fact that maybe the gods aren't around or they're not receptive or like maybe this is punishment Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the, the the way our cleric leans is that like the cleric in in this sense like all of our subclasses sort of represents someone shaped by the wastelands and and adapted to it. So like you got to imagine a cleric before the apocalypse is like I'm devoted my life to this particular deity or concept or cosmological pr principle or whatever you know, um, and that all turned out to be wrong. Oh, but okay. I still have the ability. I still have this capacity to channel this divine magic that exists within the world so like for our clerics we're saying that the the apocalypse is seen as a an event and condition like that's that's meant to be here like we did something wrong we worshiped false gods we 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 devoted ourselves to beings that couldn't protect us we need a period of like penance and punishment so like we're going for, I'm taking inspiration from early Christian monks who would like sit on top of pillars or like wall themselves up in caves and or cathedral walls and sort of like practice extreme sort of acts of, of, of you know, mortification of the flesh and, and the like so that, the, that our cleric is more of a, yeah, I really do walk around this place in some sandals and maybe a light robe and like, I just tough. You know, because mm -hmm. their devotion is channeled through this uh, physical uh, punishment and, and being able to live out here yeah. and experience this without without uh, withdrawing. Ninety percent of my divine magic is going into calluses on my feet, so <laughs> it's the only yeah, way yeah. I'm able to make it. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of our subclasses are, we are cl we are overclocking them in terms of what they can do and and the mechanical impact they have, because the other things in the book are a little overclocked. This is for veteran 5e players. Mm. And not to say that beginning players and new groups can't enjoy this and run it and discover a style for themselves, but D&D 5e has been out for a while now. And as I, from my perspective, there's a lot of focus on making sure that the newcomers to the hobby have easy access and entry and accessible adventures and supplements. And that's wonderful because we want to create a solid base of long-term players and keep the hobby going. But like, for people who are long-term players, this isn't their first edition, or they've been playing the hell out of the game for a few years. This is has them in mind as the primary audience. We don't want to exclude anyone to it, but it is for people who are like, we kind of know what we're doing. We, we know how to play our classes. We know how to use our abilities. So maybe it is okay if the subclasses that we have are a little bit overclocked because like, this book is going to recommend that the DM just completely throw in counterbalance out the window because this place is dangerous mm -hmm. and you might need some of that in order to survive some of the challenges out here. That was similar to Coville's book when he put out strongholds and followers was these things are going to overbalance. So you have to correct a little bit yeah. because I'm giving you really cool shit to put into your, yeah. into your game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, they're dials that you can adjust yeah. and, and the like, you know, and you have to do that with the, like if all you were running was three core books, you'd still have to do the same thing, mm -hmm. depending on what characters you got and how they were played, you'd have to adjust. And, you know, so I don't see it as, as, uh, <clears throat> as any different than that. You guys were talking about the divine thing. And then the picture that jumped into my head was what is an apocalypse druid look like? And I'm like, oh, oh my well, God, I hope they put it in there. You can see, we have, we have the picture of the promo has the circle of broken lands. My brain um, just went there. I'm like, oh my God, this would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so Druid uh, um, have this primal connection with nature, right? The spiritual connection with primal real nature. And 
in an apocalypse that's severed. This is a societal and ecological collapse. And so that link still exists. And the, the ghosts of those spirits of nature that used to inhabit this place, that used to embody or, or represent the forests and rivers and fields and whatever are still there. But they're in anguish and pain. They demand vengeance. They demand uh, retribution. <laughs> and so our druid draws heavily on the barbarian for that. Like that connection with primordial nature is no longer a source of solace and, and comfort, but one of pain. Um, and they're, to be, to be perfectly clear, and we, I do state this in the promo, they're pretty much there to, to create a melee druid. Um, nice. <laughs> in, in many ways, a lot of the... The choices we're making are just like this thing isn't here yet and 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 we would like to see it see it and so like i remember druids from second edition as being very up in you know in melee shillelagh was a popular spell that used a lot and wanted a druid who could lean into that and was tough who had some you know later on had some weird abilities but was really there to lay a beat down on the enemies of nature and like it's still bolted onto a druid so d8 hit die and the like and and it's you know don't necessarily have the staying power of a martial class but it's definitely like there to be a a martial druid kind of hybrid Very cool. of all of the new classes you guys have been working on which one is your favorite and i'll start with you pruitt yeah. um <clears throat> well i is as as troublesome and uh as much of a trial it was to create sign i really loved it Okay. Uh, but right now I'm working on a, a subclass, which we have been talking about for a long time, uh, which we're calling the enforcer, which is a strength based rogue, oh. uh, because I don't know. I just think that, um, not all muscle in a thief thieves guild needs to be dumb fighter muscle. Like you would have people that come up that still know thieves can't, they know how to sneak around, but they're just, uh, they got a little bit different build. And they're not about just staying in the shadows. They're like, you know, more about uh, rolling up and maybe doing some damage with their grapple more than you normally can. Like mm -hmm. being able to put your your sneak damage into grappling. Like you come up behind <laughs> that, someone, get them in a lock, and drag them back into the shadows. Like how many it. how many times has has that been part of uh, Jason Statham? Know, it plays those Jason Statham and everything. <laughs> like I'm thinking Batman. Yeah, like yeah. him just sneaking and pulling people back into the shadows. Um, and so like, that's kind of where my mind is with that. And we know D&D like, so, in general is just so everyone could eventually play Batman. So yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. I'm just trying to give it to you without multi-class. Exactly. Like maybe, maybe a Finally. little bit of monk. A Go buy this monk. book people. Come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> Gotta give yeah. monk the love. Come on. Um, that's really cool. I yeah. like that a lot. I, I, and, I always and, love fun twists on the norm, you know? It's yeah. Well, fun. yeah. And, and, and my thing is there's precedent for this. When you look at, uh, other rogue subclasses, oh. some of them have, riders and, and qualifiers that allow them to use their sneak attack in different ways. So that's all we're doing here is if this, then that, and you can use your sneak attack also because of this situation, right? Mm -hmm. You can use it like it says in the book with the main class, but you get this little extra thing like the swashbuckler, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Uh, sure. Mr. Mr. Jim Davis, what what is your favorite of the new ones you guys have been working on? Yeah. So I, I'm... At the moment, the technocracy wizard has been sort of a, the nut that I'm trying to uh, to crack. Like, it's tough to pick out of them because they're all they all have something to like about. Yeah. That. Uh, but the technocracy, or not technocracy, techn uh, technomancy. Uh, uh, school is, is <laughs> technocracy. Like, is that it a, would start a, a city? Different game. A city that's <laughs> run by a robot, or <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Skynet. Uh, it's sort of like. There's a lot of low-hanging sort of, you know, messing around with constructs or sort of having a, a, a you know, way to alter your spell focus so that it does other things. That that was that was my starting point, but then I was like, that's not enough yet. And so I'm so much about playing a wizard is also the spell selection and the number of spells that you get. Like there's a lot about the wizard where like that's really where your class abilities are mm -hmm. and so piecing out like how much of this um you know construct focused artifice focused wizard not an artificer i mean not there's reasons not just like you know a, a artificer ripoff we still want it to read as wizard but 
narratively where we're coming from is is that this place you know used to have all manner of of of, of magical objects that the society that produced this apocalypse or you know suffered it was one in which artifice and and the creation of magical constructs and the like was fairly commonplace um and so a lot of that magic that's bound to physical objects tends to be more reliable than pure spell casting that pure spell casting would be probably a lot of alterations to it no one blanket thing but simply just it works different here for xyz reasons um and that the technomancer has the ability to access and manipulate and use magic that is more stable that is more reliable and also who is writing spell books who's creating the paper and the ink and the whatever like there's a certain infrastructure implied by some of the subclasses and i think like wizard is is really one of those where it's like who's teaching you to do this you know and who how, how are you learning these you know this magic and so we wanted one that's like they're going to be exploring the ruins to gain access to that to that magic but it's very much focused on objects and and you know materials as opposed to like spell casting in a different way mm -hmm. that you know that's sort of our narrative uh the narrative that we're coming from as we're looking at uh, designing it i love it um you guys are currently at uh $204,000 <laughs> in your Kickstarter. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, unlocked so many um, extra, uh, uh, what do they call them? Stretch, Stretch goals. goals. <laughs> I was like, Stretch unlockables? Goals. Yeah, yeah. That's not right, Jordan. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last one I'm very excited for, if you guys get to $250,000, uh, you guys will include a supplement from the Sea of Stars. Uh, I, 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 I mean, Pruitt, I've bugged you on Twitter plenty of times about your Spelljammer campaign, and we have a mutual love of Spelljammer. Uh, I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to, I'm going to assume, and I would like to ask you about the sea of stars and what, what could be in the future? <laughs> uh, well, uh, what could be in the future is, uh, something, uh, in the very same spirit of what weird wastelands is. We want to give the DM a toolkit to run a specific style of game. And to me, a spell jammer campaign is no different than any hex crawl or exploration. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's a vehicle involved. So there's more considerations and greater distances, but still the same things apply. It, uh, it, I mean, you know, you could say, well, space is, there's just nothing there. And it's like, well, it's because you're not putting anything there. So that was the thing running my two Spelljammer campaigns of, of trying to constantly like have something for the players while still maintaining that, you know, you're on a ship. We need to know that you're on a ship. So every now and again, you have the ship episode where everybody's just traveling. You're going to be traveling for two weeks. Mm -hmm. What is that like? What can come up in that? Gotta time? have that Star Trek bottle episode where everyone's just exactly. on the holodeck and <laughs> yeah, and just nothing to do, right? So just providing again, providing the same kind of structures uh, and things for that. Like I, I can't wait to to work out, um, you know, building your own world because that's the thing is like you can build your own planet. What does your planet look like? Is it a flat Earth? Is it a cube Earth? Like what would that be like? What would a flat Earth really be like? So you would know you were on a flat Earth, um, and so that's well, look the thing, around, is, Pruitt. I don't yeah. know. Oh boy. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's YouTube. Come on, what are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> morning conspiracy show. Do, do we need do we need to start doing visible proofs? Uh, <laughs> lizard people are listening. Yeah, the yeah, lizard yeah. people are listening. Here, here's my thing. Do you honestly think in America that is consumed by capitalism and tourism that if there was an edge to the earth, there would not be flights going there every fucking day? Because I'm sorry, and there's my one F bomb for my PG thirteen filter, <laughs> but I'm sorry. But think about it really it'd be uh, on twitter anyway. and i'd have my phone <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it would be the biggest <laughs> tourist industry ever go fall off the edge of the earth and then come back again anyway 24 aside, deaths a year yeah people that falling aside, off taking pictures yeah uh that aside we want to give you ways to build your own world your own systems what do the systems look like are they in spheres are they not like like and again this will be the same kind of thing as you creating your own space fantasy uh, to go and have fun in because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people, everybody loves star Wars. Like you just love it. And this, that's the thing is like, I want to provide that for everybody. I want some, you know, swashbuckling, you know, Mandalorian laser guns, yeah. uh, you know, and swords in space on ships. And uh, so, you know, like, 
I, I, I'm excited because the groundwork laid in, in weird wastelands will continue. We've already got war wagons as a stretch goal. So we're going to be doing vehicles in weird wastelands. Well, guess what? What kind of vehicles are in space? You know? Uh, and so some of the rules we, that we, that we create and run for that, you'll be able to use and then uh, uh, transition to sea of stars and then they'll be expanded. Um, so, I mean, honestly, like, this has all been conceptual talk at this point because we're, we're still in the middle of writing weird wastelands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not to jump the gun. Yeah, I just was yeah, very excited for that last one. And I hope you guys get it. Uh, you have well, like 20 days left, even more maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will so say this. There's a, this you know. is what I have as far as my campaign Bibles <laughs> the, uh... and, and art for my Spelljammer campaigns. So like I am ready <laughs> to start sharing let's, let's a lot of that i love it everybody yeah. let's put them to work um, that, yeah that's the the specific stretch goal that we'll have is is a supplement for weird ways and it'll bridge the gap between those two books mm-hmm. yeah. so that's cool. that the specific like it's a preview of this this book the pros was talking about that mm-hmm. that we hope is part of a series of of 5e books and honestly they're fantasy role-playing books like there's mechanics for 5e in them but the conceptual density of them we hope is enough that they're useful in any kind of game, even if it's not uh, for 5e. So, but yeah, the, the stretch goal itself will be a supplement that we release um, sort of later on uh, that uh, that will bridge the gap and give you sort of a way to, like, launch a potential uh, expedition into the uh, fantastic stratosphere uh, of your own D&D campaigns. Uh, and and worlds beyond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. You guys have <laughs> partnered with 2C Gaming to make your book. Uh, oh. They're a great company. We had Celeste Conowich on earlier, and yeah. she uh, obviously she works there. She's like full disclosure, but like her Venture Maidens campaign was great, and that's also fun. Um, and are, is this a positive relationship? You guys are really enjoying them? Are they? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like 2C was one of those game companies that like I they came across my radar because of their epic level uh, handbook uh, series. They have sort of a series mm-hmm. of, of supplements for tier four and beyond uh, DD, tier five, tier six, that kind of thing. And um, I was just so impressed by what seemed to be like a really well play tested and put together and thought out conception of high level D&D that had like solid advice and and tools and, and like uh, was thinking of running a, a you know, level 20, starting at level 20 with some old characters myself and going through those options and like reached out to them and and sort of one thing led to another. We started freelancing uh, for them, (laughs) vote for the second uh, of their epic level uh, series, contributed to the the campaign codex there, monsters for their TPK handbook two or the TPK B-Serie two, uh, monsters for their Moma Titans, which is their epic level monster manual. So like, I got to redo Orcus as a level CR-26 monster, and the Angel of Death uh, was another fun one, CR-27 Celestial. Um, so there's just a lot of like freelance work that we've done with them over the years. And then I I had been working with um, one of their other developers, Ryan Service, is just sort of like a, in, in, a, in a writing coach capacity of like, we're going to write a book, got to get up to speed, got to uh you know stretch those muscles and train and so it's like i just need assignments every week yeah <laughs> you know, keep me writing uh and so that's been very helpful both in terms of like my development as a game designer and as we move from amateur enthusiasts to media people yeah <laughs> you know, content creators to now putting out a book as as game designers in our final nerd forms um you know it's been a real it's been really exciting because it's like i'd always prepped stuff for home games and and sort of had a very carefree attitude about how i would do that and what it would look like and and understand that like for me running a game is about having this very loose reins of of control and like not everything has to be very precise or well thought out and you know the player would come to me with an idea for a custom spell or subclass or whatever be like all right let's try this and if it doesn't work we'll do that and how very different that is uh from writing something for other people to parse through and you it's easy to see how these books can become very bloated uh because you're like oh god there's so much i can think about here 
that they don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jim, so, we're uh, we're cutting the polymorph ribbon, but that's my favorite. <laughs> right. We just I just don't think anybody needs to turn into a cockroach. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much for having or for coming on our show. Uh, uh, you've been on before separately. It was nice to have both of you. Um, and everybody, please go check out Weird Wastelands. I. Uh, I have pledged. I'm very excited because it's awesome, personally. Um, but I'm also a big fan. You guys are really cool. True pledges. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Mr. Lucian, is there anything else we need to say? Do you guys need to say anything before? I have links yeah. to all of your stuff down below. Is there anything yeah. we didn't ask you that you wanted us to ask? Yeah. Like you were, we're waiting to tell you this piece of information. You good? I can think of. You're very thorough. You guys are it. always welcome on this show yeah, any 100%. Saturday morning. Not you just want to hang out and talk any type of role-playing games we're here every saturday awesome and uh for you guys at home thank you so much uh go tell your friends about weird wastelands and uh we will see you next saturday for another episode of the saturday morning D show take care